powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hi, everybody. Tony Richards here on the C-Suite Radio Network, and this is the Better Than Before show. Coming up on today's episode, the quote I'm pondering this week, also what I'm reading now, what I'm watching now, maybe a little bit of what I'm listening to now. We will run down the days of celebration for this particular coming week. And also some headlines and why the AI revolution is coming so quick and furious. That's all coming up on today's Better Than Before program. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. It's this period of time between Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving where everybody's going out and taking the kids to see the Christmas lights. And I saw a beautiful display here in Columbia. I haven't been to it in person, but I saw a friend took their kids there, and they actually had a snow machine, and the house was all decorated. There's lots of lights. There's snow, imitation snow falling all over. Can't imagine what it costs to have that display, but... Man, that's cool. That's really cool. And my brother always does his best Chevy Chase imitation this time of year for my niece. They got lots of inflatables out in the yard and all that kind of stuff. Here in the condo complex, we don't really have that. We can see the country club clubhouse from our back porch. So when Oreo and I look out the back window, we can see how beautiful the country club clubhouse is decorated and has a magic tree and a lot of really great stuff that looks good and then we are not putting up anything for christmas because we're leaving for the kentucky place this year last year i was sick with the leg infection and we were here isolated in the condo we couldn't travel we couldn't go anywhere which was rough because we lost my dad right before christmas last year or actually right before Thanksgiving. And so I wasn't able to be there for the first holiday without dad there. So I felt bad about that. We did a FaceTime on Facebook with all the family and I was able to participate that way. But this year we're going to get to go. And I have a little something for everybody in the family just to show them how much I love them and appreciate them. I don't, I'm not a person who's compelled to give gifts, but I really like to do it out of the goodness of my heart and my real appreciation for them. And so I have given out a few things and have a few things for my family. So I'm excited about that. All right. Quote I'm pondering this week. I just keep thinking about Charlie Munger. And so I keep thinking about the things that he has said over the years that I've studied. Here's the quote that I've been thinking about this week. I want to think about things where I have an advantage over others. I don't want to play a game where people have an advantage over me. I don't play in a game where other people are wise and I'm stupid. 
I look for a game where I'm wise and they're stupid. And believe me, it works better. God bless our stupid competitors. They make us rich. Charlie Munger. And what a guy he was. Passed away here a couple of weeks ago. What I'm reading now, I'm still reading the same three books I was telling you about before. Hidden Potential, The Science of Achieving Greater Things by Adam Grant. And he is writing about things that I have been talking about for two decades, about how you grow in the uncomfortable times. And the longer you're comfortable, the less you're growing and the more you might be receding. And he has a couple of wonderful case studies about this in the book where these people, and I forget the name for them, but they're just really good at learning foreign languages or let's just say different languages. But even for people who are adept at learning other languages, you know, after their sixth or seventh language, and some languages are more difficult to learn than others, they are in a certain amount of learning pain when they're growing and learning the new language. And so it's just a couple of really good ones and other case studies too. But he takes this theme of these language learners, and I wish I could remember the name. I'll try to remember it before next week. But this is also going to probably be our leadership book of the month. So I'll have it for that. Jerry Jeff Walker's autobiography, Gypsy Songman. I'll finish that up this week and in a night or two. And I've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, I was a big progressive country advocate and fan back in the mid-70s. And Jerry Jeff, it could be argued that he, you know, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings get a lot of credit for kicking off the progressive country movement and having the first, quote, outlaw, unquote, albums. But Jerry Jeff Walker may have been on the forefront of that, too, in 1972 with his original album that he recorded in Lukenbach, Texas. He recorded a couple there, Jerry Jeff Walker and then also Viva Terlingua. And I'm also I'm about halfway through Tim Hornbaker's latest book about the last great world champion, the legacy of Ric Flair. And if you are a old school, and I'm talking about pre-1983, an old school pro wrestling fan, I'm talking about in the 70s and the early 80s, or maybe even the late 60s, you would love this book because it really dives into the inner workings of... Tim has written a couple of great books about the National Wrestling Alliance and about the wrestling war in 1984 that Vince McMahon was doing. And he's just a great writer. And I, I hope Tim's not doing anything right now. He's taking some time off. But I'm hoping next year I can have Tim on the show because he really has written a great book here. And I'd like to talk to him about it. He did a bunch of interviews about this book when it first came out. And I didn't want to rush him. So I thought I'd just wait until that died down. And now he's taking some time off. And when he finishes with that, I hope I can have him on the show to talk about this book. What I'm watching now, I just watched The Blind, which is the... Story of the very early years, the growing up years, the dating years, the marriage, early marriage years of Phil and Kay Robertson of Duck Dynasty. And I saw that on Amazon Prime, and it is a fantastic, inspirational movie. And the way the movie ends with Phil, the real Phil, and not the actor, but the real Phil, talking about what he 
wanted to get across in the movie and the message he would like to have for you at the end of the movie is just fantastic. On Netflix, I've been watching How to Be a Mob Boss, which is a rehashing of all the famous mob bosses like John Gotti and others that also incorporate some animation. You know, if you like things about the mafia, you'd enjoy that. And then the other thing was the documentary on the Redeem team, the team that came back and pulled the United States basketball reputation out of the gutter in the Olympics. Not the Dream Team in 92, but the Redeem team that came earlier in this century on Netflix. And if you're a basketball person at all, or if you just want to watch something inspirational, the documentary has some good background shots and stuff with Coach K. And for all of you who think that Coach K is just this pure, innocent, never says a bad cuss word kind of guy, you may be shocked by watching this documentary because it's raw and unfiltered and shows how he really is. And I'm not saying that negatively. You know, sports is competitive and it's emotional and coaches do say bad words sometimes. You just may be a little unsettled by seeing the all-American boy with a potty mouth. But it's the Redeem team, and I saw it on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's available other places. For my Christmas present to myself this year, which I've given myself two or three Christmas presents, I gave myself a brand-new Victrola multimedia machine. And the main thing I wanted with it was I wanted the turntable. So I opened it up yesterday and plugged it in and went through and set it all up and everything. And reading the Jerry Jeff Walker book, I had been going through and listening to his albums as he was telling the story in the book. Then I would, you know, read that chapter and then I'd listen to that album because I would listen to it in a little bit different way as he told more interesting things about it. Well, there was a an album that I don't have on CD but I had on vinyl, and that was It's a Good Night for Singing. So I grabbed that one. I grabbed an album by the Arnold Chin Group, and the Arnold Chin Group was a bluegrass band that was in Kentucky back in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was doing the radio job back then in Paducah, and this album was recorded in 1980 in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I had not heard it in years because I haven't had a functional turntable in years. So I wanted to listen to that. And I also saw on eBay a guy was selling off his vinyl collection and he had a copy of Jimmy Rabbit's album. And you may not know who Jimmy Rabbit was, but Jimmy Rabbit is a professional broadcasting name for a guy who was a pretty famous disc jockey in the 60s and 70s in Los Angeles, Jimmy Rabbit. And Jimmy put together a, it might have been the first progressive country disc jockey because he, on his radio show, he had the freedom to play whatever he wanted. And he played some classic, what's now known as, back then it was music that was coming out that was new, but it's known now as classic rock. He was playing that rock music like the Doobie Brothers and the Southern California influenced Eagles, America, that sort of thing. But he was also playing progressive country music like Jerry Jeff Walker and David Allen Coe and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Bobby Bear. 
So he had a really famous radio show, and he put together a country band in 1975 called Renegade. And they had a couple albums, but they had one particular album, Jimmy Rabbit and Renegade. I had it at one time, and I have no idea what happened to it. I don't know if I lent it to somebody and I never got it back or I left it on a job somewhere. I don't know. But this guy was liquidating his collection on eBay and he had it and I bought it. I got it in the mail just this past week and I put that on the Big Turtle turntable and listened to that a little bit yesterday afternoon in between football games. Okay, celebrating days this week. Coming up tomorrow or today, actually, it's the 12th, right? December 12th. It's National Dingaling Day, it's National Ambrosia Day, it's National Poinsettia Day, and Gingerbread House Day. On Wednesday the 13th, it's National Guard Birthday, Birthday of the National Guard. It's also National Violin Day, it's National Cocoa Day, it's National Day of the Horse, and Pick a Pathologist Day. On Thursday the 14th, it's National Alabama Day, National Bouillabaisse Day, and it's also Monkey Day. On Friday the 15th, it's International Tea Day, it's National Wear Your Pearls Day, National Ugly Christmas Sweater Day, National Cupcake Day, National Underdog Day, it's Cat Herders Day, and the Bill of Rights Day. On Saturday, December 16th, it's National Wreaths Across America Day, National Chocolate Covered Anything Day, it's Barbie and Barney Backlash Day. On Sunday, the 17th, it's National Maple Syrup Day. It's Wright Brothers Day. On Monday, the 18th, it's National Twin Day, National Roast Suckling Pig Day. It's International Migrants Day. Okay, in the headlines this week, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has just had the first billion-dollar gross concert tour. It brought in $1.04 billion this year, according to Polestar, and it's set to gross even more as the tour now is uh, in an overseas leg. Swift surpassed the previous record holder, Elton John, whose long-running Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour grossed more than $939 million, according to Polestar. Swift's record came quicker. Polestar says the tour surpassed $1 billion with 60 shows over eight months. Elton John played more than five times as many shows during his farewell tour, which started in 2018 and ended this year. According to Polestar, the numbers represent box office reports, ticket prices in each market, and how many people fit in a venue. It crunched data from November 17th, 2022 to November 15th, 2023. Swift's representatives did not respond for comment. The Eras Tour was a greatest hits type show with Taylor Swift performing songs spanning her 17-year career. Can you believe that? Can you believe she's been around for 17 years? Swift played in football stadiums that held more than 70,000 people. Her fans filled nearby restaurants and hotels, giving cities a huge economic boost. Despite performers charging higher prices for general admission tickets, concert goers have been paying up to see their favorite superstars after the COVID-19 pandemic shut down the industry. Polestar said the average ticket price to see Swift was $238.95. Demand to see Swift was so high 
that Ticketmaster melted down, leading to a congressional hearing where senators questioned the company's business practices. After touring cities in North and South America this year, the Eras Tour is now headed to Asia and Europe next year. Besides that, Swift has released two re-recorded albums, Speak Now and 1989. This week, Time Magazine named her the Person of the Year for bringing joy to a society desperately in need of it. Beyonce's Renaissance Tour was the second highest grossing concert in the past year bringing in more than $579 million. Both Beyonce and Swift brought their tours to movie theaters, signing deals with movie theater operator AMC Entertainment Holdings to distribute film versions of their concerts. Bruce Springsteen came in third with more than $379 million, followed by Coldplay at $325 million and Harry Styles with $290 million. Polestar said 2023 was a record year overall with top 100 tours grossing 9.17 billion up 46 percent from last year so the concert business if you think inflation is going crazy and the dollar doesn't buy as much the concert business looks like it's in good shape as people still you remember that pandemic boy when they were locked up and could not go out and do anything And by golly, they are going to go to these concerts because you never can tell when we'll be locked up again. So watching NFL this weekend, it's no doubt that people are going to NFL games. They're going to NBA games. They're going out and doing stuff. LeBron James, can you believe this? LeBron James is the NBA's oldest player. He has been in the NBA now for 21 years. Talk about time flying. My gosh. Of course, he plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. Travis Kelsey is Taylor Swift's boyfriend, and Taylor Swift is Travis Kelsey's girlfriend. If you don't know who Travis Kelsey is, you probably do by now. He's the tight end on the Kansas City Chiefs NFL football team, and he was on the cover of the insert magazine of the Wall Street Journal this past weekend. And in the journal, there were a couple articles about him. And the cover says Travis Kelsey plays for keeps. And he's wearing this interesting fashionista coat and given a Travis Kelsey type look to the camera. He, uh, of course, has a very popular podcast with his brother who plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And there's a couple articles in there that you should read. One of them is how Travis Kelsey manifested the best year of his life. It says a few months ago, he was merely football famous, but now Travis Kelsey is ready to tell his whole story. He says about Taylor Swift, she was at the game yesterday. The camera always shows her once or twice during the telecast on television. He says about his relationship with Taylor, I've never dated anyone with that kind of aura around them before. So it's an interesting article. There's also something called Seven Things Travis Kelsey Has Let Slip About His Relationship with Taylor Swift. One of them is long before Kelsey met Taylor, he was just another Swifty. Their love story began when he tried but failed to meet Taylor Swift at Arrowhead Stadium. This is at the aforementioned concert tour where Taylor has grossed a billion dollars. 
but she played Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, and that's where Travis, of course, plays football and where she was performing her concert tour. Soon after, someone from inside Team Swift gave him an unbidden assist, and she reached out to him. So he got rejected when he tried to meet her, but then when word got to her, she said, call that guy. I want to talk to him. Another thing he said about the relationship is there were definitely people she knew that knew who I was in her corner who said, man, did you know he was coming? And he said, I had somebody playing Cupid for me. Another thing he says, he says he wasn't nervous for their first date because the two had already talked a little bit on the phone. If anyone was nervous, it was his friends and family. Everybody around me kept saying, don't F this up. And I'm sitting here saying, hey, man, I got this. It's cool. It's just not a big deal, you know. He became uncharacteristically guarded with the media as the first heady days of their romance unfolded. Well, I would guess so. He says, and this this is indicative of being guarded about the relationship. He says, the biggest thing to me was to make sure I didn't say anything that would push her away from me. Kelsey doesn't need to be asked about Taylor. He mentions her all the time and lavishes praise on her and calls her hilarious, a genius, he says, and notes they share compatible worldviews, especially when it comes to family and work. He says he's all about her lyrics and words. What a miracle, he says, the way Taylor Swift can turn life into poetry. He said, I've never been a man of words, and being around her, seeing how smart Taylor is, has been effing mind-blowing. I'm learning something new every day. Well, something he might need to learn from Taylor is how to handle the attention, having paparazzi outside his house and being followed everywhere he's been a lot. One of his confidants told us it's more stressful than he lets on. He says, obviously, I've never dated anyone with that kind of aura. I've never dealt with it, but at the same time, I'm not running away from any of it. When he was asked if he has anything to teach Taylor, he looks shy and he says, football? (laughs) Uh, Of course, the thing she probably wants to learn most about is about him, right? As any relationship would, but it's the media darling right now. The Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey romance and the chiefs lost a big game this past sunday to the buffalo bills that keeps the bills in the playoff picture and possibly means the chiefs will have to for the first time in quite a long time the chiefs will have to play a playoff game on the road rather than the home loud chiefs arrowhead stadium you ever notice how fans i'm sure you do fans are much more harsh on sports figures than they are at their own job. You know, I've talked about this before, but we had a player who eliminated a touchdown that would have won the game for the Chiefs on Sunday, and instead the Chiefs lost the game on Sunday. But the penalty, you know, called the touchdown back. It involved a a pass to Travis Kelsey who turned around and threw a pass backward in the backfield to the wide receiver, Tony. And the play was called back because Tony was off sides at the line of scrimmage. And man, Twitter is blowing up. Facebook is blowing up. All social media is blowing up about get rid of that guy, fire that guy. I mean, if a guy at your job 
really made a mistake and it was a big mistake, would you just want to throw him out the door and fire him? It's just fans do not look at the games. I don't care what sport it is, but fans do not have the same thought process as players do. Mahomes and Andy Reid, the head coach, might have been somewhat frustrated with Tony, but they were more mad at the officials for calling a call that is normally not called. For anybody who's ever played sports knows that you get away with a certain amount of things during the game. And most of the time, the officials come over to you and mention it to you and say, hey, you've been fouling that guy. If it's basketball, hey, you've been fouling that guy. And the next time you foul him, I'm going to have to call it on you. So stop that fouling rather than just whistle the guy three times in a row. Right. And previously on that particular call, officials had gone to Andy Reid and said, hey, your guy's lining up offside. You might need to tell them to make sure they don't line up offside. Well, this is the biggest play of the game. And the dude calls it. It doesn't warn anybody, hasn't warned him during the game, hasn't said anything. Now, people who don't like the Chiefs and are not fans of the Chiefs are saying, yeah, it was the right call. He was offsides. But that's not how in a game it really normally goes. Normally, you get the conversation with the ref who says, hey, your dude's been lining up offsides. I'm going to call that or go over and say, hey, in the next game that I officiate when your guys line up offsides, I'm going to call it instead of calling back the touchdown that affected the outcome of the game. Officials should not dictate the outcomes of games. Players should dictate the outcomes of games. And you might say, well, the player did. He was offside. But that's not all I'm talking about. That was the most brilliant, exciting play of the game that would have given the home team a victory. And normally you're officiating, if you haven't had that conversation with the coach, you would let that go and allow the home team to win and let the players dictate the outcome of the game. It's not like they didn't have to overcome a large degree of difficulty to win. It wasn't simple. It wasn't easy. It was very difficult and hard. It was only like a minute left in the game. So it did determine the outcome of the game. And I don't think officials should call things in situations like that that are borderline and especially since no conversation had happened. There's just a difference in how fans look at it and how players look at it, how coaches look at it, how people in the business of football or basketball or baseball look at it. The AI revolution. I'm going to give you four principal reasons that are underlying why you're hearing more and more about the AI emergence that is taking place. The first reason is computational power. Computation has been doubling every 12 to 24 months for the past 50 years. And if you're familiar with Moore's Law, the guy who was in Intel years and years ago who developed Moore's Law, it is only recently, since 2015, there's been enough computational power to run today's powerful deep learning algorithms. AI has been around since 1950-something. But we haven't had enough computational power in order to run these large language models. There was a video on YouTube that I saw the other day 
that had Steve Ballmer on it, who's now the owner of the NBA LA Clippers, but he was CEO of Microsoft for a couple of decades. And he was talking about how Microsoft had to build a humongous data center in Iowa just to run chat GPT stuff. Second reason is there's a massive amount of labeled data that we humans have created and uploaded since the internet's been around. Global data has been doubling every two years and is expected to reach 170 zettabytes. Zettabytes with a Z. That is 175 billion million megabytes in 2025. Not only is this a large amount of data, but much of it is also labeled data, which has been used to enable the training of today's large language models. Reason number three is the rapidly demonetizing cost of training AI. The cost to train these AI systems plummeted 99.5% from 2017 to 2022. And the fourth and final reason that's driving today's AI dominance is the massive amount of capital investment being made by venture funds, corporations, and governments. According to Stanford, which puts out an AI index report, corporations invested $190 billion in AI last year, a 13 times increase over 10 years ago. PwC estimates that AI could add $15.7 trillion to the global economy by 2030. For several decades now, AI has been gradually integrated into a range of diverse sectors, from healthcare to manufacturing. However, it was the recent creation of generative pre-trained transformers from OpenAI and Alphabet that has truly revolutionized the digital landscape. These technologies are not slowing down. OpenAI's GPT-5 is coming up in the near term. And just this past week, Google launched its next generation foundation model known as Gemini. Also, new AI models like Liquid Neural Networks by Liquid.ai are under development, promising significant improvements beyond today's generative pre-tained transformers. The future is faster than we think. That's our show today. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 ClearVisionDevelopment.com is my website. You can sign up for the Monday Morning Memo. You can visit the Better Than Before podcast archives. Six years' worth of our programs are there with some outstanding guests and lots of knowledge for you. There's 20 years' worth of my writing in the blog archive. Special thanks, as always, to our super producer, Tessa Hall, who always makes this show sound so good. And until we see each other again next week, we're getting closer and closer to old St. Nick. I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you, and don't you dare forget, that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.